Hello, and welcome to Meditations from Middle Earth. My name is Strider, and I'm a Christian worker here in where I call Middle Earth. We love to meditate on God's Word, and He's given us so many unique and rich experiences here in Middle Earth, and I'd like to share those insights with you here on Meditations from Middle Earth. Today we're going to tackle the highest rung of Guido's ladder. We're going to talk about the spiritual discipline of contemplation or contemplative prayer. And then we're going to go on to um, practice that uh, as we go through our meditation exercises and, and, and looking at the Word in our Lexa Divina by looking at Blessed are uh, the Merciful. So, to start with contemplation, as we look at Guido's ladder, you know, we looked at Lexia Divina and the reading of the Word. We looked at uh, meditation, and we talked uh, just a little bit about prayer. And now we want to look to contemplative prayer. And what's the difference between prayer and contemplative prayer? This whole exercise really feels like it has a direction and its destination is contemplative prayer. And in a sense, that's true. Uh, In a sense, this is where we're going. This is the goal that we're trying to get to. But in another sense, uh, all the rungs of the ladder are equal because what we're trying to experience is what some call the manifest presence of God. So we know that God is always present at all times and everywhere. I've said that many times. And uh, but the question is, do we uh, feel his presence? Can we sense his presence? Do, are we really living in his presence? Or do we feel alone and isolated and hopeless and helpless? Or can we feel his power, his love, his grace with us? And we want to get to that place where we're living in his grace and his love all the time. And, uh, and we can't and we don't. I remember reading Brother Lawrence's Practicing the Presence of God. And and really what Brother Lawrence is talking about in Practicing the Presence of God is exactly what we're talking about here in contemplative prayer. Brother Lawrence maintained that because he could feel God's presence as he was washing the dishes in the monastery, that he had no doubt that he would find God's presence when he went to take Holy Communion, and he would find God's presence in the bread and the cup. And so uh, he maintained that all of our thoughts and all of our actions could be prayers to God and interactions with God as we went throughout our day. And I think that's a really good goal to have. We want to be aware of the presence of God at all times. I do want to caution on the other side of that is uh, Richard Foster's admonition to us uh, to avoid spiritual greed. And we're going to see that today as we talk about contemplative prayer. You can't just stay there for as long as you want or for as long as you think you're supposed to stay there. The, the fact is, is that we are uh, exiles, uh, sojourners in a strange land. Uh, We are not living out our lives in the manifest presence of God at all times and everywhere. 
Uh, we don't always feel his love. And when we try to sit in his presence and stay in his presence, um, it, it, it doesn't work out. It's, it's, like, it's like the Israelites in the desert gathering too much manna. They needed to gather enough manna for that day. If they gathered too much, it would rot. And the whole idea that if reading uh, two chapters of the Bible is good, then reading four chapters is better, that's not necessarily the case. You can only take in so much. We are frail human beings. Uh, We are not as we were designed to be. We were designed to live in his presence. And originally, with Adam and Eve, lived in the presence of God at all times there in the garden. We are no longer in the garden. And we are no longer beings who are capable of uh, staying in the garden and staying in the presence of God all the time. So we have to work at it. And that's what the spiritual disciplines are all about, all of them. From reading to meditation to prayer, and then you go to the outward disciplines, which I hope we can talk about in the future, of simplicity and worship and solitude and silence, um, guidance, uh, even. And uh, as we talk about these disciplines in the future, I hope we'll continue to come to the place where uh, all of these disciplines are, are preparing our frail bodies and minds to spend a little bit more time in the presence of God. And so what does that mean for us today as we look at contemplative prayer? As we look to contemplative prayer, we've gone through our Lexia Divina. We've read the Word. The Word has been highlighted to us, and we've meditated upon that Word. And then we went to God in prayer. We laid down all the things that would distract us, and we've uh, confessed our love to Him, and then we've invited Him to to be present with us. And as we move to contemplation, now comes that time where we just sit in his presence. This is not easy for us to do. Our minds wander so quickly to the needs of the day, to the different random thoughts that are going on and the things that strike our fancy and entertain us. And we must set all those aside and just... um, meditate in the in the way that the the mystics and maybe uh, far eastern religions we hear about uh, buddhist or hindus or 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 different eastern religions uh, focusing on meditation and as they focus on meditation they're seeking to empty their mind and um, we want to take a cue from them because this is a healthy thing to do but it's an incomplete thing to do right Uh, what they do is good but it's not the best. And what we want to do in Christian contemplation is to move from our meditation where we've been meditating not on nothingness, but on the Word of God, and then move towards a, medita- a contemplative prayer where we're sitting in the presence of God quietly. This sitting in the presence of God isn't a, an emptying the mind so much as a giving space for God to fill it. I liken it to um, sitting with somebody who's maybe grieving. And I hope you've had the experience of sitting with somebody who is uh, in a desperate situation where maybe they had lost a loved one or um, lost something precious to them and they were really grieving. And as you sat there with them, they didn't want your advice. Uh, They didn't want your um, 
encouragement of the, oh, it'll all be fine. Everything will work out just fine. Don't worry about it. They didn't need your uh, consolation in that way. They just wanted you to sit with them. They didn't want to be alone. And they didn't need communication. They needed your active presence. And that's what we're trying to achieve in this contemplative prayer contemplation kind of deep thinking now how can we get there you know and i i've already explained how each rung of guido's ladder kind of leads us to this place where we can then sit for for many years what i would do is i would maybe pull up an empty chair uh, and sit it next to me or across from me and i would close my eyes and i would picture christ sitting there in my mind and I would just sit with him for a while. Um, also, in the past, I used to use music a lot. Um, I, I, I couldn't quiet my mind uh, without music. And, some, and early on, it was um, praise music or worship music um, or certain scripture songs that I would sing or listen to. And then over time, I, words were too distracting, and I went to uh, meditation without words, maybe listening to classical music. For many years, I went through class, a classical music phase. Uh, and then uh, about, I don't know, almost 10 years ago now, I moved away from that, finding that the music itself was just too distracting, and I needed to just sit quietly. And, and, and as I sat quietly... I, I could sit in the presence of God, imagine him there. And remember, our imagination is a wild thing, right? It's this thing that in all kinds of fears and fantasies can come up in your imagination that distract you away from the truth, away from reality, and away from the Lord. But as we sanctify that imagination with the word and we let the Holy Spirit work on us, then our imagination becomes the place where we can uh, get past uh, this physical reality that we're looking at. And with our imagination, we can see the spiritual reality, which is also reality. And in fact, it's the reality that's eternal. And so imagining Jesus sitting there with you. Now, the reality, of course, from a theological perspective, is that Jesus is in heaven and he's sent to us the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. But how do we connect with that Holy Spirit who's inside of us? And there's lots of ways to do that. But one of the ways I have done in the past is I have imagined Jesus sitting with me. And that's a valid thing to do. Another technique that you might use is uh, one that I've more recently learned. Just last year, I was listening to someone talk about the, uh, the name of God. And remember Moses in the uh, scene with the, where, where in Exodus he comes upon the burning bush and uh, God speaks to him out of the bush and tells him to go and set his people free. And what happens? Uh, Moses is pretty reticent to do that, right? This is a scary big task that he knows he's not up for. Uh, and God assures him that, actually, I'm going to be with you. And he says, well, what is your name? What am I going to tell people who sent me to go set your people free? And he says the name, I am that I am. 
So this great I am statement gets made, and in Hebrew, that word I am is Yahweh. And Yahweh, interestingly enough, is a word that doesn't have any hard consonants on it. All right? It, it, no, no K or uh, an S sound or something that's going to uh, be harsh. It's Yahweh. And what does that sound like? And if you, if you think about um, a lot of people who go into deep meditation and work on these uh, uh, meditation techniques, they talk about focusing on the breath. And this is such a beautiful way to focus on the breath. Because breathing in and breathing out is like saying Yahweh. So I'm breathing in Yahweh. 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 And now I'm breathing the name of God. And I just stay there. And I'm not thinking about anything else. I've let everything else go. And I'm just sitting in the presence of God, breathing his name, focusing on that. And you might say, well, Strider, what's the point of all this? And, and the point is to sit in his presence. And, and honestly, it doesn't always manifest, right? I'm not telling you that every time you do steps one, two, three, and four, God's going to come in with step five. Relationships don't work that way, right? A science experiment works that way. You add this chemical to that chemical and you get this reaction almost every time, right? But with relationships, now relationships are not contractual. This is going to be really important, and I'm going to bring it up again when we start talking about our meditation on uh, mercy this morning, uh, which I'm going to have to move to here pretty quickly. But uh, we'll talk more about contemplation. But one of the things I want you to see is this isn't a contract. You're not forcing God to show up in your presence. He's always there. You are trying to make a space for your frail mind and body to feel and know the presence of God in your life. He's always there, but you don't always feel and understand that he's there. And so this is a, this whole disciplines, disciplines are meant to free us from the things of the world that, that, that strip away our ability to hear and enjoy the presence of God. And so this is an opportunity to sit in the presence of God and sometimes he shows up in a beautiful way that's very grace-giving and life-affirming. And sometimes it's just a good quiet time that's uh, psychologically sound and a good practice for you to do. Uh, But always remember he's there And as we work on these disciplines, we become stronger and more able to sit in his presence longer. And then uh, we have more of an opportunity to hear what he's saying and obey him and, and deepen our relationship as we have shared experiences together. And that's how you deepen a relationship, right? With shared experiences.
So we'll talk more about the contractual nature of life and how we need to set that aside for the relational nature of our walk with God. But now I want to move on to our practice um, and, and get into our Lexio today. Let's say this morning I get up and I go to my Lexio, I go to the Word of God, I open up, I'm here in Matthew, and I'm reading, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. And I stop and I highlight that verse and I think, is the Lord saying something to me through that verse today? And so let's sit and meditate on that verse for a few minutes. Blessed are the merciful. When I think about mercy, I think about the opportunity to be forgiven or to forgive others for wrongs that they've done. So I'm a sinner. I'm someone who has done things that are wrong. I've, I've, I've harmed my relationship with God. I've harmed my relationship with others. I've, I've damaged others in the things that I've done and said, and I want them to be merciful to me by forgiving me and inviting me back into a relationship again. And, and so here... Jesus is teaching on mercy, and everybody wants mercy, but giving mercy is hard. And so blessed are the merciful. So the merciful are those people who have mercy on others. And why should, why are they blessed? It's so, because they're the ones who will receive mercy. So if merciful is being forgiving of others, then the one who then then the promise comes that if you forgive others you'll be forgiven. Jesus will later say in in chapter 7 here in Matthew as he continues his sermon on the mount towards the end of his sermon he's going to say don't judge others and then he's going to follow that up in verse 2 of chapter 7 by saying with the judgment that you judge others you will be judged and i often say and I want to set the bar as low as possible, right? And so I'm going to judge others really, really mercifully so that I myself might also receive mercy. Now, I said it that way, and it sounds contractual, and I suppose it is in that sense. But the, the act of mercy is not contractual. In fact, it's the opposite, right? Because what we want to do when someone who's wronged us, and we want to say, well, that person has been pretty good to me, and because he or she has been pretty good to me, I'll go ahead and overlook this offense. And that's, that's contractual, right? Uh, because I'm getting something good from them, I'm going to go ahead and overlook this thing that they've done. Or we can say, well, I know that this is a pretty good person. And so because he's a pretty good person, I'm going to go ahead and overlook this one offense. And we're okay with that. And we're just going to let that one slide. And then we can also say, 
well, because this person has offended me, I'm, I'm pretty angry about that. But if they agree to do X, I'm going to go ahead and let this go. And all of this thinking is what I call contractual thinking. If you do this, then I'll do that. Uh, a lot of the Old Testament gets very contractual, where, where God makes his promises to his people, and they have to live up to their end of the bargain. Right? They get to stay in the promised land as long as they honor and love him. But when they betray him and seek after other gods, then they're no longer welcome in the promised land. Uh, but God moves past all this and moves us past all this in the New Testament when he sends his son, Jesus, to die for us on the cross. We didn't ask him to do that. We didn't somehow deserve that he would do this for us. He's saying, I'm going to lay my life down for you. As, as Romans 5 says, you know, before we were even born, Without us asking, you know, then he's, he's laid his life down for us. And so he demonstrates his love toward us. And this is love that is not earned. It's not contractual. He's not saying, if you do this, then I'll sacrifice myself for you. I'll lay down myself down for you. He's already laying himself down for us. He's already done it 2,000 years ago. And he continues to sacrifice for us by, by staying with us and giving us grace each day. Grace, of course, is, is unmerited favor. He gives us this unmerited favor every day. Just the, the fact that we get up in the morning is another grace from God. You know, he could just end this whole thing, as he showed us in, in Noah's flood. You know, he was like, wow, these people are so wicked and so evil, and let's just end this thing right here and start over again. And he did that with Noah and his family. But now he hasn't done this again. And in his grace and mercy, he's, he's given us favor, and in his mercy, he's shown us that he loves us and he cares for us, even though we don't deserve it, don't even ask for it. And now as we look at being merciful as he is merciful, because that's a characteristic of the kingdom, now we look at others and instead of judging them and saying, well, you fell short and therefore there's these consequences and you've limited our relationship or you've ended our relationship, now we come in and we say, as God was merciful to us, I will be merciful to you. Yes, we still have a relationship. Yes, I still care about you. Yes, you did wrong me. But I'm letting that go, and I'm, I'm, I'm maintaining my love for you, my respect for you. And um, it, it's not a naive. Mercy isn't something naive. God doesn't forgive us and then get all surprised when we go and sin again. You know, when we, when we blow it with somebody and then they forgive us and then we come back and blow it again the next day, you know, it's, it's, it's not like they're supposed to be shocked. Well, I forgave you, so I completely forgot about what you did and now uh, I'm totally shocked that you did it again. No, we're not shocked. We're not naive. We know who we are. We're people who fail. We're people who fall. And we're people who love anyway.
because God loves us anyway. He knows exactly who we are. We knows we're going to fail and fall, and yet he loves anyway. And he doesn't put any real restrictions on that love. Love just loves. And nothing we can do can undo that. And so blessed are the merciful then are those who are like God in that they look at others and they say, yeah, you blew it. And it's okay because I still love you and I'm still in relationship with you. And as we become more and more the kind of people who are able to do that, and it's hard, isn't it? Because when people burn us and, and, and hurt us, and then it's really, really difficult to say, okay, but you're still my friend. Okay, but I still care about you. It's so easy just to say, you know what, just go. I don't care about you anymore. Just get out of my life. And that's not merciful. And we don't want anybody else to say that to us, and we don't want God to say that to us. So if we're going to be the kind of people that are like God and God's people in God's kingdom, then we're going to be the kind of people who are merciful. And that's not being contractual. Well, I'll forgive you, but you'd better shape up. Well, I'll forgive you if you do this. That's, uh, that, that's not how God forgives us. He forgives us completely, and he invites us continually back into the relationship. And the only way that we stay out of God's kingdom and out of relationship with him is by choosing to stay out of God's kingdom and stay out of relationship with him. It's our choice. He's given us that freedom, and we give that freedom to others. Others can walk away from us, but we don't walk away from them because God doesn't walk away from us. It's very hard to live in that space. We're, we're so convinced that you know people will just walk all over us. People will take advantage of us. I need to teach that guy a lesson. You know, it's, it's, it's not good if I just let him get away with this one more time. He needs to know that he's failed. He needs to know that he's wrong. I am convinced that people know that they're wrong. And they don't believe that they're able to do right. They have lost hope in their ability to behave well with us and with God. And what we do when we bring mercy to the situation is we tell them, hey, I believe that you can love me well. I believe that you are valuable and that in that intrinsic value as you have as a child of God, I want to have a relationship with you. I want to interact with you. I love you. And that teaches them more truth than the partial truth of, hey, you really screwed up, and I need you to pay a price for that. There's some truth in that because we do pay a price for screwing up and making mistakes and hurting others. But the bigger truth here is that as a child of God, you are eternally loved. And when we can offer that eternal love to others, 
that love changes them more than any of our punishments or our uh, well-intentioned advice or condemnation could ever change them. Wow, as I think about that, I think about the situations I'm going to face today, I think, Lord, that's a good word to me, that I need to just love others well and be merciful to them. Let's pray about that. Heavenly Father, make me a merciful man. Make me somebody who has your spirit, your character, your nature, who loves others and lays his life down for others again and again and again, even though they don't deserve it again and again and again. Because again and again, I have failed you. And again and again, you have chosen to love me. And so, Lord, I lay down my right to condemn and throw rocks at everybody else. No matter how right I am about how wrong they are, And I call them your children and my brothers and my sisters. And I enter into relationship with them. Knowing that, yeah, we're all going to fail each other at one point or another. But at the end of the day, we're brothers and sisters in one family as your children. Help me to live that truth today. Now, let's move to a time of contemplation. And I'll read the words of our invitation here from Jesus, found in Revelation 3.20. Listen, I'm standing at the door knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to you and eat with you, and you with me. Open the door. Let's slowly say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who are in heaven, holy is your name. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory now and forever. Amen. This has been Meditations from Middle Earth. May God be your ever-present teacher and richly bless you on your journey.